Shri Gauri Vaishnav Guru Parampara ki jai Shri Shri Gauradha Madhava ki jai Gaur Bhakta Vrinda ki jai Gaur Premanande Welcome everyone. You okay? Good. Okay. We'll try to clear that up. So, nice to be with all of you. And so we'll be together hopefully for a few days. And um, originally we were scheduled to meet in the forest tonight, but we got rained out. So... Here we are inside, and typically in the evenings, uh, forest gatherings, as you know, those of you who have attended in the past, we open the uh, floor for questions, but um, I thought I'd just speak a little bit tonight before we do that, see if we get time for that. We will have time otherwise. Um, I wanted to speak over the weekend here a little bit about... Radha Tattva, which I think we did the last time I was here. I was reminded of that, actually, by um, Bhakti Lata, Bhakti Rasa, I should say, excuse me. I said, I haven't spoken about Radha Tattva. She said, oh, you spoke last time you were here. And one hour, one class went for three hours or something. I couldn't remember. So, I guess a little repetition wouldn't, wouldn't hurt. Repetition of a good thing is sometimes a good thing. So, um, that said, uh, I thought of speaking a little bit about Radhatattva in light of the fact that we're, within a week or so, entering into uh, Kartik in the Carolinas, with this auspicious month of Kartik. So uh, let me say something about that, that we might, as the uh, month begins, be able to better take advantage of the auspicious time that it affords us. Kartik Mahas is famous. It's famous beyond the circle of uh, Gaudiya Vaishnavas mm-hmm. and beyond the larger circle of Vaishnavism in general extends to Shaivism and all of Hinduism. Mm-hmm. And so that said, of course, there are different understandings of the nature of the auspiciousness of, of the month. As you know, the months on the Hindu calendar are divided into southern and northern, excuse me, Dakshin and Uttarayana movements of the sun. So, in the Hindu calendar, this is the this is the uh, the, uh, the last month of the the uh, Dakshinayana movements of the sun to the south, and these months, and this month in particular, amongst them, it represents month of sadhana, of spiritual practice. And uh, spiritual practice in a generic uh, sense, of course, is that by which one's mind's be- mind becomes arrested, if you will, um, with regard to the possibility potential of inner life. And so that inner life is uh, gauged differently, understood differently, experienced differently, um, with common ground at the same time, 
by different traditions, so a month of sadhana and uh, a month that is celebrated by all the different Hindu schools, which have the different forms of sadhana. The different Sadhana means practice, and practice makes perfect. So we have sadhana and sadhya. Sadhya is the perfection, the end, the goal, and sadhana is the means. It's said that if we want to hear from a teacher, um, we should ask first, what is the sadhana? And what is the sadhya that you are teaching? Hmm? So different sadhans, different sadhyas. And within a transcendent um, ideal worldview and pursuit, then all of the sadhanas, of course, are ego-effacing. This is what, um, in one sense, distinguishes an authentic and, um, let's say, uh, an authentic in a spiritual path, as opposed to a uh, spiritual path, spiritual experiential path, as opposed to a religious path. Now, a religious path is not necessarily uh, different than a spiritual path, in that the heart, really, of the religious path, or any genuine religious tradition, is um, what we would call mysticism, or experiential spiritual life and its pursuit that involves, as I say, the ego effacement. Hmm? Oftentimes, unfortunately, the religious path, um, however, comes in conflict with its own heart, doesn't recognize it. Hmm? This is the problem you have with fundamental, if you will, orientations to religious traditions, where they become... Uh, even the, the, even the common people, or not the common people, but uh, people, let's say people in general, they, they tend to lose interest in religion when it becomes obviously um, um, in conflict with uh, general ideas that um, that uh, are identified with the heart of religion. And then you take it a little further, of course, um, embracing those general ideas like ahimsa. Hmm. For example, like uh, loving your neighbor, like yourself, and um, and so on and so forth. These are not being selfish. It's when when we, we see selfishness, and when we see um, warmongering and uh, and discrimination and so forth, um, um, in a in a pejorative sense. Um, uh, Expressed through religion, then we we lose welcome, we lose we lose interest in it, hmm? and this, of course, idea or occurrence within religion distances it from its heart to the extent that often the heart of the tradition, if expressed, if manifest, as it would be in a sadhu and a saint, is. Um, um, Often uh, comes into conflict with uh, with that uh, saint and manifestation. I mean, the, the the Jewish people, they crucified their one of their own, who who exemplified the the heart of the tradition that transcends the traditions themselves, at least to an extent, hmm? and that all the religious traditions, uh, they're worth something, are uh, aimed at. Well, 
attaining love, if you will, over law, or um, or or at least the, the bottom rim of love, which love I sometimes characterize as as giving, and not taking is part of love. It would be the lower end of loving. So there are non-taking ideals. I mean, particularly within Hinduism, for example, the Gyanmarg, the path of knowledge, is one that concludes that the world of taking, the karmic realm, is problematic because for whatever you take, then you owe. And off to work you go. So it's troublesome. So there are some lazy transcendentalists. <laughs> we have the ideal of rest alone, rest, rest, and peace, peace, but not love. And then there are the Vaishnava traditions that want peace and love. And so um, cross-culturally as well, we, we, we find, as I say, there's a heart to the Jewish tradition, the Kabbalah and its mysticism, the Christian mysticism, very much exemplified in the early Catholic uh, saints. You have the the Sufi tradition within Islam and so forth. One of the beautiful things, as an aside, um, um, about Hinduism is that it's more difficult, I believe, it's more difficult within Hinduism to miss, to to be um, a Hindu in a religious context and be at odds with the heart of the religious tradition that is um, exemplified by the mystics. When you have, for example, your Bible of Hinduism in the form of Bhagavad Gita that concludes, Sarvadharman pritajamamekam saranam braja. So give up religion. It says, Sarvadharman pritajamamekam. Give up religion and, and come to me. Hmm? Know me. The Gita is all about this. It's it's a, a very central book. Like I say, it could be called the Bible of, of Hinduism, and, and this is how it begins. Arjuna argues in favor of religious life in order to forego uh, the, uh, the task at hand, and Krishna takes him to task immediately as he begins his speech and uh, puts religion in its place and emphasizes in its stead that which it's supposed to promote promote and not be at odds with. Hmm? In other words, religion is, is about, in one sense, giving things to God with the expectation of getting something in return. And that may sound a little weird, but it's better than some ways of life. Hmm? It's a system, and as it's understood in Hinduism, it's a system for living bountifully in the world by acknowledging the powers that be, by venerating the powers in nature we ourselves are dependent upon. When we're dependent upon a certain power in nature, then it's, it's, it's only common decency to be grateful. And so we have the Surya Namaskar and so on and so forth. Uh, and all of the powers of nature are, are spoken about as gods and, and goddesses. Um, uh, and venerated and so forth, with the idea that we're, we're dependent entities. I've said before that if you, if you, in your house, you you flip a switch, you get light. If you press a button, you get heat. You turn a valve, you get water. You go to the mailbox, you get a bill. 
So the implication is that there's somebody on the other end for all these things. And if you don't pay attention to that, you don't have regard for the bill and you don't pay it, then your faucet's not going to work and your button and your switch are not going to produce heat and light and so on and so forth. So Hinduism is very much a living in the world with, uh, with the sense of gratitude, which is the, really kind of the baseline of loving. In Mahabharata it said, the, the worst, most undesirable, the lowest of the low person is one that has no gratitude. So it's beginning there, without gratitude. Bad position to be in. So religion, as it's understood in Hinduism and other traditions as well, really is, is really kind of a living with gratitude. And we can glorify that as we should, and if we look at it from a higher point of view, we can deprecate it, at least remaining there alone and not growing from there, because gratitude is the baseline, really, as I'm saying, only of, of love. Hmm? Um, saying thank you, forgetting, hmm? when we're told that the real receiving is the giving itself. So how to come to that? How to experience fully that the giving is the receiving? It's an English adage that we all accept, but but to play it out, this ultimately comes to our subject, actually, to to the Brindavan Leela and Radha's love for Krishna. How the giving is synonymous with the getting. Radha Krishna Pranay. Vikritir ladini shakti rasmad. The beta bed equation of Gaudiya Vaishnava is beautifully played out in this verse of Surab Damodar, um, cited as it is in Chaitanya Charitamrita. The oneness and difference between the giver and, 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 and the uh, object to which uh, she gives, Radha and Krishna, one and different. Hmm? Big subject, but the giving is the receiving. So, how to experience that? It, it, if you, Gaudiya Vaishnavism is really just a playing out of this universally accepted common sense uh, truth that defies common sense at the same time. Because you would think that by giving you would have less. The math of it would, the logic of it would be that if I give, I end up with with less. If I have ten, I give five. If I end up with five, not ten or twelve. Hmm. And we've I, I see Gauravani, my good friend there and faithful student. I always remember that when I mentioned the name t- number twelve because when he used to live at at Audari, I asked him, "So how did what's the experience here on a scale of one to ten? I think he was milking a cow at the time, <laughs> and he turned to me and said, "It's a twelve, Gauravani." <laughs> so uh, such. <laughs> As such is the the power of the of the reciprocal dealings in love when love is properly reposed and offered without expectation of return. It, it's therefore prem, hmm? the prem that Radha personifies, personifies is said to be full and always expanding at the same time. So it's a twelve on a scale of ten. Hmm? Hmm? So, at any rate, there are different sects. They all, uh, in, within Hinduism, they all celebrate the month of Kartik, and it's a month of, of sadhana. And the, the sadhana, of course, is different in the different sects. 
and the goal is different, but basically the goal in Shaivism, in, 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 in Vaishnavism, in the, uh, the Gyan Marg, in the Bhakti Marg, in the, in the Yoga Marg, these paths, is all transcendence, and all of that involves ego effacement, and rather than giving things that we have in pursuit of getting more things, a kind of a childish idea, but this is the basic idea of religion, which is then nonetheless life of gratitude. Instead of giving the things in pursuit of more things, the giving of oneself. That's something to you have to swallow on that one. So to give, to put oneself on the altar. This is really sadhana and change. So spiritual life is about changing. And um, that's hard to do. But um, the different sadhanas and the different sects are, are powerful means. Among them, of course, bhakti is extolled over uh, the power of it, over, the, over that of yoga, jnana, and so forth. And the, and the attainment, arguably, is a deeper penetration into transcendence, where, again, as I say, this English adage is, is, is actually realized, that the giving is the getting. We're not giving to get away from material existence, getting, giving to give to, so that we don't have to work, so that we can rest. Neither are we giving out of duty because we should, because it's God and he should be worshipped, but engaged really in a labor of love where the labor is the love itself. So, so at any rate, it's a month of sadhana, and there are different sadhanas and different sadhyas. We want to talk about our own sadhana and our own sadhya. <coughs> and this is a good month for that. It's a month to spend one's time in sadhana to increase one's sadhana, one's practice. Which again, in a generic sense, is amounts to a way to, con- to, to arrest the uh, mental faculty which in turn will also uh, then, by which we rule over our sensual faculties and our actions to, to capture the thoughts, to arrest the thoughts, which will in turn change the way in which we, we act. And um, it's a formidable task. When Krishna spoke about yoga in the Gita, Arjuna replied, "But it sounds great, but it's like sounds like trying to catch the wind, which is not very easy to do." And Krishna didn't disagree with him. He said, "It's true. It's not easy, but it's possible by practice and detachment. It's possible." He went on to say, "Of course, when Arjuna was questioning that I mightn't be unsuccessful in it." And in order to, to tread the, the path of, of yoga and spiritual sadhana, I have to give up the religious orientation, the moral life. I don't become immoral, but the moral obligations of, of, of everyday life are transcended by adhering to a spiritual sensibility and obligation and, and, and pursuit. Hmm? 
and uh, a genuine spiritual practitioner obviously will be a moral person, but they will attain more than one can attain by moral perfection if there could be such a thing. The whole idea within Hinduism is that there can't be moral perfection. Inasmuch as the epitome of moral perfection is Brahma, who said to have perfectly performed the Varnashram for a for a hundred what is hundred lifetimes, all its rules and regulations be under the law, perfectly followed the law, um, and he lives for a long time as a result of it, which is a virtue. And to be able to have a long life is obviously thought to be virtuous and desirable, but. The Gita says, rains on the party, doesn't it? Abramamuvanaloka punara vartino arjuna. Imamu petitukuntaya punarjan manavitite. Krishna distinguishes between his abode and Brahma's abode, which is the upper end, the intellectual realm, burbhuvasva. The intellectual realm, the, the substance of uh, intellect. You have mind stuff in Hinduism, you have intellect stuff realms of mind and intellect. And then you have, of course, the limited uh, physical realm. Hmm. And so there on the upper end, the upper end means that by, by intellect, hmm, we're, we, we're thought by booty, we're thought to regulate the manas, the mind, hmm, discriminate. Hmm. And proper discrimination is the discrimination between Matter and spirit, very subtle. Hmm? This is thought to be be knowledge, in the full exercise of of the our discriminative discriminating power, our intellect. So Brahma's up there; he's like a smart guy. But 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 Abrahma Bhuvana Loka Punaravartinam. Even Brahma, everyone there from that planet, also has to die. The point being. The life of Brahma is given in these numbers that are just like huge, right? It's just like you, you, you can't even remember them. You don't memorize them. You just, it's a long time. 86 billion something trillion. I don't, I've been around for all oh, this for 45 years and I can't remember the number, but the point, it's not a, it's not necessary. It means a long, long time. But what it also means, what also the, the, the understanding is, as long as the time is, hmm, it's no more than a moment in comparison to eternity. You understand the point? As long as it is, it's not longer than a, really than a moment in relation to eternity. And punarjanmana, he says, vidite, knowing my abode, which is different than Brahma's, and the way to go there is different also. Punarjanmana, hmm? one never takes birth again. And Brahma's people, they take birth again. Hmm. My abode is different. The characteristic, that the baseline. Krishna repeats this in the Gita, maybe three times. My abode is different. It's eternal. Hmm. You can't, having attained there, one never returns. Hmm. What did the sutra say of Vyas? The end. Anavrtihi shabdat, anavrtihi and it repeats it twice. Anavrtihi shabdat, anavrtihi shabdat. This is the shabda. What the sound says, the Shruti says, going there, one never returns. Hmm? 
that should be a sadhya in a basic sense. That should be a goal worth pursuing. Why? Because if the goal is not worth pursuing, if it's not eternal, it's uh, then it's a it's a product of our of our action. Karmic results are a product of our actions. And our actions that produce the karmic results are actions that are derived from attachment and ignorance and so forth. If the goal is not eternal, then it's not going to take you beyond the problems of of birth and death. So if it's a place from which you can fall, it's no different from, from any other realm in the world and it's not worth pursuing and and then bhakti the means that gets, gets there becomes uh, no different than karma it's a movement that looks like karma but it's actually quite quite different its goal it's different its motive is different and so on so sadhana and and sadhya and all the hindu traditions they see this month of Kartik, Kartik Mas, as a month of sadhana. So, a time to use one's time well. These things come up. Celebratory days, holy days, and so forth. We remember the saints and the various uh, leelas, the Janamastami, the Radastami. In one sense, the import of these days is they're days that we are called to um, focus more on our spiritual practice because we can drive more at those auspicious times. But the idea behind them is, is there's so many of them. If you look at the Vaishnava calendar, it's supposed to catapult you into every day, every moment, hmm? rising with a view to change today, to make progress spiritually today. Today, again, a chance to make spiritual progress and to assess at the end of the day, how did I fare? Hmm? Sadhana is, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, we have a, a sadhaka deha, a spiritual body hmm, that is uh, suitable for spiritual practice. Hmm. It's called a sadhaka deha. It's a practitioner's body given to us at the time of, 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 of initiation where we're, we're taught to learn, to live within certain parameters and then not let our mind and senses go beyond them that constitute a spiritual, um, uh, the progressive environment. And so, while there is a learning curve, hmm, we call it anishta, bhajana kriya. Hmm, So it's a work in progress, the sarakadeha. The work is to try to keep my senses engaged with sense objects like sound, touch, taste, and so forth, only for the pleasure of Krishna's senses, rather than to foster my own egoic sense of self by being in touch with them for the pleasure of the senses themselves and the identity that corresponds with them. So it's very, um, at the very, very uh, kind of core uh, way of transforming one's uh, existence. Right. So, it should be done um, with uh, with attention. It should be we should be sadhikas, not 
we, we, we think, well, I can't be a siddha right now, but I could be a sadhaka. It's a glorious, glorious thing compared to uh, a badajiva, just a, a materially conditioned. You can be lost, and you can be found. There's a difference between lost and being found, even when being found doesn't constitute having gotten home yet. Right? To be found is huge if you're lost. And then the way home from there is very short in comparison. Hmm? To be lost, that is that is a great loss to be found. So it said the distance we travel in our material sojourn is far greater. Hmm? It has no beginning. Hmm? Anadi karma. The world has no beginning in Hinduism. There are world cycles that come and go, come and go, come and go, compared to the breathing of Vishnu. Hmm? It's another way of speaking about the temporality of the world. Vishnu Chakritsakra says it's, it's figuratively the world described as the breath of Vishnu that Brahma's life is compared to long as it is, as we were saying earlier, just a breath of Vishnu. Hmm. So it means he's an Adi, he has no beginning. Hmm. The world cycles come and go, but the world cycles have no beginning. This coming and going has no beginning. And what is the world? The world is the combination of the jiva, the consciousness and matter. Hmm. What combines them? What brings them together, as close as they could get, is what we call karma. So there's no beginning to the jiva. There's no beginning to Vishnu. There's no beginning to his maya shakti, to the world cycles. So there's no beginning to karma. So, and to be under the influence of karma is, means to be have lost one's way. So it's a long journey, <laughs> one with no beginning. How long is it? Then to be found in the context of that, means to have met our guru. So we have come a long distance. And the distance, the point is that we have to go from that point to home is very short in comparison. So to be found and to be a sadhaka, this is a very, very auspicious, very glorious thing. We should live up to this opportunity that's been afforded us. It won't take long if you take the time to be a sadhaka. Hmm? All that you, those, all those introspective moments, wrenching of your heart in, in, in your lost days, seeking to be, to be found, and then the sense that, that I've been found. It's like you want to know what the meaning of life is, what the purpose is, and then you found it. Hmm? But at that point, you're not supposed to just get on with your life. <laughs> okay, now I know the meaning, so I'll just carry on. <laughs> no, you're supposed to pursue the meaning. Right? Hmm. So this is supposed to be a, a point of change, and it, and it, and it can, continues. So, um, it, 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 to be a sadhaka, take advantage of that opportunity. It's, it's really a very glorious life. And if you do that, hmm, 
then you'll feel satisfied. Hmm. People say, well, how many lives will it take me to, a- to attain the goal? Hmm. When in the context of your sadhana, that no longer becomes a question. Mahaprabhu said, Mama Janmani, Janmanishpure, Babatad Bhakti Rahoyitakita. He was not in Ruchi. He got a taste when the food, when the medicine of the practice became food for him. Hmm? I said before that if you if you have to take medicine, you might forget, oh, forgot to take my medicine. But you don't forget to eat. You wait to eat. What time's lunch? Is it coming soon? What time's dinner? What's cooking? Hmm. You don't say, what time, when's the medicine? Come? When's the time to take medicine again? <laughs> you don't think like that. Hmm. So the practice should be should turn, make it have a turn, where the medicine becomes food. Hmm? You see, then you're living on the practice. This is what it means to be a mature sadaka, a shuddha bhakti with ruchi, with taste, driving my practice. Then the question: When will when will I when will I transcend birth and death, this no longer becomes a question. I don't mean, it doesn't, it's not on my radar. When I, I just want to do bhakti. It's relishable. In itself. So, the life of a sadhaka really is a very, very glorious thing. We have that opportunity that's been presented to us. We should take advantage of it. Don't waste this valuable time in the months like Karti, and we well, it's a special time to do sadhana. Every moment is a time to do sadhana. <laughs> but we, we emphasize certain times that we that we we might apply ourselves and get the experience. Don't think that if you go to the next month, Margashirsha, and you apply yourself, you won't get the result. That's the Krishna month. <laughs> this is the Radha month. We'll get to that. Next month is the Krishna month, and. Every month in the Vaishnav calendar is named after a Vishnu deity, so so it goes. But it is a special month within a special time within a time that's special for sadhakas, something like that, Kartik. Hmm? Hmm? So we're gathered together, and as I say, all the different Hindu traditions are celebrating it. It's a time often where the Shaivites and the Vish, Vish, and, and the Vaishnavas that quarrel in South India give up quarreling, hmm? and. Um, share often in, in ritual and so forth. Hmm? As an aside, it's the month in which um, uh, Shiva was empowered by Krishna to defeat Maya Dhanava hmm? and was then known as Tripurari. <laughs> so, as an aside. <laughs> Uh, the, the, the Shiva was petitioned by the gods to help them, and although he would have been successful, Maya Dhanava dipped the, the demons in a well of nectar. Nectar means Amrit, means Amrit, Mrit means death. Amrit means deathless. So, in, in, into the into the deathlessness that that. Um, that the uh, celestial world appears to afford us. As I said, even Brahma's world doesn't, but you get those kind of long numbers. If I told you today, you're going to live for a billion years. 
let it be a sigh of relief, hopefully. Of course, I don't know if he'd want to be a billion years old, but everybody wants to live forever, right? This is, everyone's looking for the fountain of youth. We're no more crazy than anybody else. Hmm? Some try to do it within the realm of the physical. That, we think, is a little, little crazy. Our idea for attaining immortality and solving the death problem is to gain knowledge by which we will cease from pursuing enduring life in relation to things that don't endure. Hmm? That's smart. Hmm? And turn within to that which does endure, the self. I've often said we may think ourselves to be this or that. I am this, I am that, I am this, I am that. This and that changes, but something else doesn't change. What is that? I am this, I am that. This and that change, but I am doesn't change. Hmm? We are. (laughs) We're a unit of such. It's not this or that. Neti, neti. So to turn within to the subjective world, to identify that I'm part of the subjective world, not the objective world. Hmm? And I give meaning to the objective world. I can unplug from that. I am a unit of meaning, purpose, value, and so forth. I'm not this or that. I'm not part of the change. I'm observing the change. That's why I can tell that it's changing, because I'm not part of it. If you're part of the change, it's difficult to observe it. We could stand here on the ground and see the plane going fast and say, well, it's going... If you're in the plane, it just seems like you're just sitting there. You're sitting in one place, right? You're going like 700 miles an hour. So our ability to perceive the change and our, also our, our resistance to impermanence. We have a built-in resistance to impermanence. If we were impermanent, the argument is, we would have no resistance to that. Hmm? So again, sadhana is for, for turning within hmm? and living forever. No. The gods, the, the demons were dipped in the Amrit hmm? because the celestial realm is, you know, kind of seems like forever. Of course, it's not, as I said. It's a long period of time, but only a moment in relation to eternity. So it became difficult, more difficult for Shiva to accomplish the task. And uh, Krishna got involved and empowered him. So. This is Shiva empowered by Krishna in a particular way to deal with Maya Dhanava. Prabhupada told me, this is your service. You have to deal with the the demons by teaching the Bhagavad Gita. Hmm. And then you... you, you, you. <laughs> well, you're not the demons, but you're, you're giving me a chance to, 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 to practice. You're actually quite wise, and you're giving me a chance to practice. That's very kind of you. <laughs> so, anyway, an auspicious month, Kartik, for all the Vaishnavas, for all the Shaivas, for all the Hindus, and um, and the month is, of course, also uh, known by the the uh, Vaishnava name of, of the Damodar month. It said also Kartik. Kartik uh, is the other name that we're 
the other name is dominant, but the Kartik month. Kartik also thought amongst the Shaivites to derive from the name of Kartikeya. Is he Shiva's son? Right? Kartikeya. It means to be like infused or blessed with with courage. Kartik. Kartikeya. Kartik also is, 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 is said to be the the um, the term that's used for the revolution or the orbit of Jupiter around the sun, which takes about 12 years. Hmm. It's relation to the orbit of Jupiter. Jupiter and Jupiter, of course, in Hinduism is the guru planet. Hmm. You want to be in that orbit. Hmm. Be in the orbits of the guru's circle around the sun of Krishna. Hmm. So we can Vaishnavize everything here. <laughs> Kartik, uh, Pujapad Sridhar Maharaj, had a different view um, of the Kartik uh, term in terms of its etymological uh, uh, derivation, probably from the same root of Kartikeya, the Datu, the, the verbal root in Sanskrit, comes Kirtida. Kartikeya, Kirtida. Kirtida of course, is the name of Radharani's mother. Hmm? So he was of the opinion that the term, the word Kartik, word Kartik derives from the name Kirtida, the name of Radharani's mother, which means Kirti means fame and Da means to give. Interesting, Yasho, Yasho also means fame. Yasho Da, it means to give fame. Now there's a little bit of a difference there. The mother, these are the two mothers of Vrindavan that we should be most concerned with. You're either going to be on one side or the other side, and both sides are in agreement, but there's, a, there's the Radharani's side of Vrindavan, there's Krishna's side of Vrindavan, there's the family of Vrishubhanu and Kirtida and Nanda and Yashoda. Hmm? And, and so we should become acquainted with these players and see how how kind and generous and how absorbed they are and derive inspiration from them. Find a new set of parents. That's what it means to to bhakti can end your parabda. Parabda means the karma that's manifest. You have karma that's not manifest, but you can eradicate, and it will never bear fruit by the force of bhakti. But what about the manifest karma? How can you change who your mom and dad are? That's your parabda karma. It's like they said, once you get a cold, well, you got to wait six days or a week. Hmm? Play it out. They say there's no cure for the common cold. So parabda is something like that. It's what's already happened. Once it expires, then, okay. Even knowledge, its origination is ignorance. But even knowledge unto itself doesn't have the power to to terminate or cancel the parabda that's already manifest having arisen as it does out of ignorance. But bhakti, then, that's the highest knowledge. And sometimes it's talked about as being different from knowledge, love being different from knowledge, let's say. And it has the power to eradicate the parabda. That's pretty extraordinary. It can end the cure the common cold, something like that. So, but how can you change your parents? That's part of your parabda. It seems like you just, you just have to wait for that to end. And, but in bhav bhakti then, you get a new set of parents. This is the, this is the 
end of the parabdha, the beginning of bhakti, the parabdha is eradicated enough that you can engage in bhakti. Then gradually, gradually, all the prabhda karma is removed. And then shobhana karma, beautiful karma, arranged by Krishna to live on in the world as an example to others and in pursuit of praying as bhava bhakti is, the churning of the, that bhava, that emotion into praying. So, and, and within that, of course, within bhakti, nam, the efficacy of nam, is particularly stressed in the Bhagavatam with regard to its power, bhakti's power, to remove the karma. Indeed, it is emphasized again and again by a shadow of the name only, by an abbas of the name, that can be accomplished. Hmm. So, Kirtida, Yashoda, we want to become acquainted with Nanda Maharaj, Rishabhanu Maharaj, Rishabhanu's relatives, hmm? the different Chandra Banu, this Banu, that Banu, all the Banus, hmm? and, their, and their twelve sons, and their eight daughters, the Dwarasagal Pauls, the, the, the extended sons, I mean, the sons of the, the relatives of Radha, her cousins. Hmm? Her nieces, nieces, her female cousins and male cousins, right next to both both sides. Eight gopis, some say. Different acharyas have written in different ways, but this is one nice explanation. That they all come from Radharani's side. The Dwarasa Gopals, the Twelve Gopals, Subal, Sridam, and so forth. Masudam, Kinkini. And Astasaki means these eight close Sakis, friends, Yuteshwaris. Friends of Radha, hmm. and then, uh, and Yashoda said, but then the, both the names Yashoda, Kirtida, mean give fame. But Yashoda's giving a fame is different. Yashoda gave fame to Devaki, who's known in the world as the mother of Krishna. Hmm. But actually, Yashoda is the mother of Krishna, and Devaki admits it in the Bhagavad Purana in Kurukshetra. Hmm. She comes there to Kurukshetra with Krishna, riding on elephants and so forth in a, in, in, with great opulence and coming on the covered wagons comes these country bumpkins from Vrindavan to the gate. It's like a world, you know, like they do the um, Olympics. What do they call that? World Fair. World Fair, world Fair or something like that. They erect a city. So they erected a city in, in Kurukshetra to perform sacrifices and, and Prince Krishna and Ram came with their entourage and Brahmins and, and, uh, and, and uh, singers and dancers and, and it was the world's fair. Hmm? And, and here come these covered wagons pulled by oxen you know, to the gate. And when you take, when you live with cows, and that's what you take, you know, who you associate with, that's who you become like. So, if you associate with cows, you know, it's, uh, you become like a cow. Yeah. It means, you, you know, you, 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 there's a good side to it, you know. <laughs> but, 
you know, usually they, they have permits where you can't keep the barn too close to the house. Mm-hmm. It's illegal. We did it at Audari. The barn is right next to the house, but it was illegal, we found out later. You can't keep the barn too close to the because c- of the issues of cleanliness. If you want to know what is eternal, then you just take care of cows and clean up after them. As soon as you've cleaned up, again, it's coming. Mm-hmm. Again. Well, that's the other side. The cows personify giving because they eat grass which grows on concrete, even. And they give milk for that. Mm, so rich. Mm. Practically speaking, at Odarian working on it here, also we're, we're living on the strength of the cows. We have our dairy there and we, 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 uh, we, 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 we sell 100, 100 gallons of raw milk a week. Mm. That's one part of the income, and then the other part is we take the cow dung and turn it into worm castings, and we sell the dollar a pound, and it's 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 a fountain of worm castings. So we're living off the cows, and they are, of course, uh, givers. So you see, Krishna's surrounded by cows. The implication is that um, that um, that. Um, if you want to know Krishna, you have to become a giver. And if you wonder, if I give, who will take care of me? Then you invoke the epithet Gopal, who protects the cows. He's there for the givers. Hmm. So it's a beautiful thing. But anyway, they come you know, to the royal assembly at the city for the sacrifice. And they're like, who are you? And she says, I'm Krishna's mother. Hmm. Um, we know Krishna's mother, she's Devaki, she's here with both their Chatriyas, these are part of the royalty, and you're claiming to be, there's Krishna, there's somebody here impersonating your mother at the door, I mean, I shouldn't even bother you with it. And he says, let them in, let, the, let them come in. Everybody steps back. And of course, when Devaki sees Yashoda and sees her eyes, in her eyes, her love for Krishna, she steps back and says, you are the mother of Krishna. Hmm? You raised him. Your love for him is, is supreme. Of course, we can look at the grammar and so forth, as the Goswamis have in the Sanskrit text of the Bhagavatam and the Purana and draw helps and so forth and, and demonstrate actually Krishna is really born in Vrindavan and only his expansion is born in Mathura and so forth. And that's an interesting exercise that they've, that they've in, in, engaged in. But the substantial argument is, of course, that that the determining factor is the measure of affection. Hmm? So sometimes uh, there's an instance where in the neighborhood one's own son is irresponsible and the neighbor's boy is real nice, he comes over and cuts your lawn all the time. And, and then uh, the neighbors say, actually, that's uh, he's your son, it's that guy over there. So by affection's force. This is the law, the law of affection. Hmm? Ultimately determines. Right? Hmm. So, and in, affection amounts to a kind of sense of proprietorship, a kind of ownership. Hmm? So, at any rate, Yashoda, Yashoda, she gave the fame, Yasha, to Devaki. You could be known, Devaki Putra, the... the, 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 the Krishna, this Krishna's the son of Devaki, 
uh, celebrated all over. The Gaudiya secret idea hidden in the village of Vrindavan, out in the back, away from the metropolitan area of Mathura, is this is Swayam Bhagavan, this is the, the Shodanandana. When Mahaprabhu was asked to give some explanation of the holy name, he said, I don't have no explanation. Krishna is Yashodanandana. Sham Sundar, that's all I know. He meant, he said this to Bala, but he said, you can give a fancy interpretation etymologically, what is the meaning of the name and so forth. I know the name to mean this. The name is is non-different from Krishna. Krishna is the, is the son of Yasoda. That's what I, what the meaning is. Krishna is Sham Sundar. Hmm? So this is the, the Gaudiya perspective. Yasoda gave the fame to Devaki. But Kirtidad means giver of fame also. Hmm? And she gave Radharani to the world. Hmm? And Radharani, of course, Radha is Aradhana. This is her name alluded to indirectly uh, spoken of, in, mentioned in Bhagavatam. Aradhananam. What is it? Anayaradito nunam bhagavan haridishvara. Her name comes out. It's a long story, beautiful story. Um, but um, it means, Radha means, Aradhana means worship, the best worshiper. Hmm? So she is the ideal of worship, Bhakti Devi. Hmm? And so she is always engaged in praising Krishna. We've explained in sacred purpose, Radha is the kirtan of Krishna. Kirtan is Aradhana. Hmm? It's giving fame. In other words, fame is arrived at by when we glorify people, they become famous. If there was no Radharani, Krishna would not be famous. Do you understand? Mm. Hmm? She makes him, Bhakti makes him him famous. Hmm? So, Kirtida and Kartik, deriving from uh, from from this, or the month of Radha, as it's thought in, in, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Hmm. It's also called the Damodar month. Hmm. In the Puranas, it said in the Padma Purana, it said, uh, "Sankalpam." What is it? Sankalpam api urukaraka. Hmm. In the month of Damodar, it's the nature of it is such that a little thing done gets begets a very big result. Hmm. So a little bit of service done in Kartik gets a very extraordinary result. It's a it's a generous month. Hmm? Damodar month, the Damodar pastime is prominent. The Damodar Astakam is often sung this month. If we study the Damodar Astakam we see it it culminates in in some in the glorification of, of Radha. It said each verse was written over Yugas and the progression of the of the, uh, the of the Muni came to Realize that what is the wealth of Brindaban? That's another thing. The fame, the wealth. Radharani is all the six opulences of, of Krishna. Hmm. So, uh, an auspicious month and related to Radha, Rupa Goswami says that in, uh, in uh, uh, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, this is one of the angas, the limbs of the body, the angi of bhakti to observe the urja-vrata. Urja-vrata, it's an it's indirect way 
of speaking about the month of Kartik. And he cites this verse from the Padma Purana glorifying the month of, of Kartik, the month of Damodar, and its power to bestow the blessing, even for little something, little service rendered. Hmm? So he refers to it as Urjavrata. Urja means power, hmm? Shakti. Hmm? Um, it, uh, it's, it's also a name for Arundhati. Arundhati is the celestial chaste lady, the chaste lady of the heavens, the wife of Vashishta. It's said that, uh, that Agni, as sometimes happens with the gods, became a little lusty. That's a small g, gods. Became lusty and wanted to have union with the wives of the Saptarishis, the seven rishis. They're up in the, in the stars there. And, um, and, but that wasn't happening. So, but his wife, Swaha, she transformed herself to look like the different rishis' wives and had union with him six times, but she couldn't do it the seventh time. She could not manifest a form that looked like Arundhati, the wife of Vishishta, engaging in uh, infidelity. Such was the strength of her fidelity and her chastity and so when they do the Hindu marriage ceremonies, then she is invoked there, and and as the as the ideal and uh, the power of of a woman derived from chastity and so forth. This is a uh, thought to be a virtue in, in 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 many societies. Often, unfortunately, men are not held to the same stand, <laughs> standards. Um, but from the Gaudiya perspective, of course, we should appreciate that. That there's a higher idea of chastity than, than this uh, type of chastity within the realm of morals. We're interested in the capital G good, and not the small G good of the moral realm, where you can you can never get a capital G out of that. You push down here, it comes up there. You push down there, it comes up here. Such is the moral life. Hmm? Moral life and and how to conduct oneself morally and ethically in the world is an ongoing decision to be made in new times and circumstances. Every moment is new. Krishna says in the Mahabharata, some people say that the moral life is determined by the Shastra. He says, it's not entirely wrong, but it doesn't apply to every moment and every circumstance unto itself. And therefore, it has to be combined with reason to arrive at a determination in, 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 in new circumstances. Just like you take the law Prabhupada used to say, well, the, can't, the, the scriptures are like the law books. So that sounds good. Okay, we got the laws now. We know how it all works. But law is determined in a dynamic way from the books. So when you cite the law in a court case and you say the law said this on this date, Your Honor, and on this date it said this, and on this date it said that, and therefore I think in this circumstance it should be applied in this way to determine that he's not guilty or she's not guilty. Hmm? Whoever makes their best case in citing the text in a dynamic way in relation to new circumstances wins the case. So if you if you want to progress in life, lead a morally sound life, you, it's not a life for it, it's, it, it, um, embracing the scripture is not a, rest, a a formula for not thinking. 
and this is what happens, unfortunately, to go back to the beginning of our talk, the failings of a religious orientation when, when the heart of the tradition is not understood. Hmm? And then we just take from the book, and the, and, the, and the laws are old, and the circumstances are different, and it doesn't make any sense to people in the times we live, and so the whole thing is thrown out, along with the heart and so forth. You have to interpret it in an ongoing way with the application of reason. And even then, in any given circumstance, the moral and ethical good will never equal out to a capital G. That's the teaching over and over and over again in the Bhagavatam. Over all the stories and so many stories in the Bhagavatam meant to just make this simple point. We can make the point. It's simple. Everyone can nod their head, but to apply themselves in it. Hmm? And become, like I said, a sadhaka. What will be your moral then? Your moral life? Anukulasya sankalpa. If it's favorable for bhakti, I embrace it. If it's not favorable for bhakti, I reject it. You'll be a very morally stout person. Even when required for your service that's favorable to Krishna, you step on the head of morality. Hmm? It may happen. When the relative truth comes in conflict with the absolute truth, then we weigh in on the side of the absolute. Let's take some some courage. But bhakti is not an immoral life. Try living like this. This is your task as a sadhaka. Accept what's favorable to Krishna's service. Reject what's unfavorable. What will your life be like then in every instance? When we say give up the dharma, we don't mean become immoral. It's not an excuse for being immoral. It's a higher standard of, of, of uh, morality and acknowledging, acknowledging the law. Law is transcended by loving. It's not broken. Hmm? It's risen above. It's fulfilled. If it's fulfilled, the problem with there's a problem. Law is required when there's a problem. Hmm? When there's cheating in the heart. When the cheating in the heart is taken out, then there's no need for law. Then you can do the things that would be otherwise unlawful. And that's the whole idea of the Brindavan That's how it's depicted. It appears unlawful. We have to get to that, but it's not. Hmm. So, anyway, she's chased Arundhati. It's, 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 it's a nice idea. Mahaprabhu once asked, you know, because we just weigh on this for a moment, he once asked Raghunandan and his father Mukunda, who is the father and who is the mother or the son here? He met Mukunda the father and Raghunandan the son. He said, who is the father and who is the son? I'm not sure. And Mukunda, who was the father, he said, hmm, Mahaprabhu has something in mind here. So he replied, I am the son and Raghu is the father. Because the measure of Raghu's bhakti exceeded that of his father, hmm? Mukunda. Mahaprabhu was very pleased with the answer. The story, of course, is that father asked his son, I have to go out now. You've seen me do it a number of times. Now you make the offering to the deity while I go and attend to some business. Hmm? And your, your mother and I. So this is your chance now. You make the offering. We'll be back in a couple hours. So he made the offering, came back, and um, mother said, what, what's going on here? You, why did you eat before your father came back? He said, I didn't eat anything. Well, half the food's gone here. 
from the plate. He said, no, I made the offering. Yeah, I know you made the offering, but why did you eat before your father came home? What do you mean? I didn't eat. I made the offering. <laughs> this he told me to do. And Krishna ate the offering. He only ate half. <laughs> Mother said, well, we'll see when your father gets here, you know, about that. So father was told, and then the father brought him. And said, oh, so you, uh, so Krishna ate it, huh? Mm-hmm. You sure about that now? You sure you want to take a stand on it? So he wouldn't budge. So father said, okay, I'll tell you what. If that's your stubbornness, then you make the offering again. Mother will cook, and you make the offering again. And then we'll see if Krishna eats. He said, okay. So he made the offering. And then his son just went, to, and he's, he's, he's not backing down. Mother's cooking again, he's not back. So then Makunda hid behind the curtain, right? While his son made the offering. Krishna came down and ate. Then he could, then he understood. My son has a lot of bhakti. <laughs> so he said, Mukunda, I am the son, and Raghu is the father. Hmm? So who is the wife? Who is the husband? Whoever has more bhakti. This is the Gaudiya example. This is the leader. Hmm? We're not, women aren't followers of men. Men aren't followers of women. We are followers of Krishna. Wherever Krishna is manifest, and we should follow that. Hmm? This is this dynamic spirit of essential spirituality. Hmm? So, Arundhati, anyway, chaste lady of the heavens, but it's said in Chaitanya Chart in Govinda Lilamrita that Arundhati's power of chastity, which is celebrated throughout the heavens and earth, hmm, people don't know, it's derived from the, the chastity of Radha. The power of Radha, the force of Radha's chastity. How for, how forceful is that? Well, let's go from Arundhati, from the celestial realm, hmm, to Vaikuntha and Lakshmi. Lakshmi is known as the chaste wife of Narayan. He has one wife, it's Lakshmi, and she is chaste. Hmm? Has an impeccable reputation in this regard. Well, unless you read the Bhagavad Purana, hmm? Srimad Bhagavatam, and you read it very carefully there, and you see, wait a minute, and this is how Mahaprabhu read it. When he met with Venkata but in South India, who was a worshipper of, of Lakshmi Narayan, he said, you know, I have a question, because uh, you have this beautiful worship of Lakshmi Narayan in your, your temple and everything like that, and uh, I was wondering, if Lakshmi has this reputation of being chased to Narayan, so I'm wondering, why is it that she expressed a desire to dance in rasa with Krishna if she's so chaste to Narayan? No. So he picked this out of the Bhagavatam. You can just read through and pass by unless you hear from the Goswamis what the Bhagavatam is really saying, what its implication is, and so forth. So Venkat said, oh, no, 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 no problem. No problem. Narayan and Krishna, they are one. They are both God. Not not a problem. Mahaprabhu was very pleased. and He said, very good. He said, I have another question. A follow-up, if I may? Yes, yes, please, please. We are Ramanuja Sampradaya. We know all the, we have all the answers. And so Mahaprabhu said, my question is, my follow-up is, she wanted to ha- uh, 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 party with Krishna. Hmm? And okay, so Krishna's non-different from Narayan. 
I got that. But my next question is, the follow-up is, why she was unable to? <laughs> and then the chief priest, head priest of the Ramanuja Sampradaya said, we don't have an answer for that. <laughs> How can you ask such a question? Only a person who could even ask the question must have the answer. You tell me. <laughs> this is a very beautiful Gaudiya kind of beautiful triumph, if you will, <laughs> over Ramanuja Sampradaya. I mean, it's a beautiful Sampradaya also, and it's, it's we, we honor it and so forth. But there, in that place, they established a murti of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu hmm, forever, and his footprints are there, and worshipped and so forth. Venkata made a point. His son became the great Gopal Bhatta Goswami. Shri Gopal Bhatta Goswami ki jai. Radharamanji ki jai. Sivindamandam ki jai. Prabodhananda Saraswati, the uncle uh, in, of, of Gopal Bhatta, the brother of Venkata Bhatta, became the great Prabodhananda Saraswati Kijai. Mm. So, what was the power of Mahavaru's conversion through joking? Mm. A little humor. Mm. Why she couldn't join? Mm. Uh, of course, she couldn't. She, but, but my point here is that's another story why she couldn't join. She had a different ego, she didn't follow the path of rag bhakti. There's a way hmm, to enter the rasa dance. That is called rag bhakti. Hmm. Lakshmi was doing penances, fasting in, in Vrindavan, eating roots and leaves and things that fell from the trees. This is Lakshmi, the, you know, the, the goddess of Narayan. She's a very super royal person, blue blood, you know, with no blood. But <laughs> what was her diet? You know, she's, she's wearing white and and fasting and just eating whatever comes of its own, falling from the trees in Vrindavan, with a view to enter into the rasa dance with Krishna. And so Krishna appeared and said, Lakshmi, what are you doing here? She said, I want to enter the rasa dance. He said, well, that's not the way to do it. <laughs> You're not going to be able to do that. Hmm? Well, how can I do it then? It's not by just some fasting or something like that. He said, you, you have to give up your husband. <laughs> Then you got to marry some other gopa, and then you got to give him up. <laughs> she said it was enough the first time. Give up, um, Ryan. I I can't do that. I, uh, she packed up and went home to Vaikuntha. Hmm? She couldn't do that. But, but, her chastity's in question. Not really, but <laughs> in comparison to Radha, will Ra- when Narayan, when Krishna left the Rasa dance in the Basantrasalila and Gita Govinda. Hmm? Very nice, because in this time of this is the Sard Purnim, this is the famous Rasalila of Bhagavatam, where you can enter in. There's room for sadhakas to enter there, as described in the text. Hmm? In the Basanta Rasalila, it's only, only siddhas. There's no sadhakas entering there. It's special. It's, it's portrayed beautifully in the Gita Govinda. Hmm? But in the Gita Govinda, it's very special because, and it's cited in Chaitanya Charitamrita, because in the Ras Leela, at this time of year, Sard Purnim, the harvest moon, Krishna left, but he didn't leave in such a way that all the gopis knew that he was leaving on account of Radha. They found out later, tracing the footprints and seeing her footprints, and then hearing from her manjaris who knew her feet, and said, this is Radha, Aradhananam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She worshipped Hari better and so forth. Beautiful story, as we know. Well, in Vasanta Rasalila, Radharani said, You know, I want you to, you know, you take me in front of everybody. Hmm? 
If you really feel that way, then demonstrate it before everybody. It's very powerful. So, so he did that. Of course, then later he disappeared, and then the gopis are looking for for Krishna and and Radha. Gopis before the gopis, Krishna manifests as Narayan, right? Four arms. So they paid their obeisances to him, and they said, "Can you tell us where Krishna went?" Hmm? But when Krishna appeared before, so desired to appear before Radha as Narayan, he couldn't do it. His four arms could not manifest. Hmm? This is the beta beta. You understand the love that Radha is corresponds with the object of love that Krishna is. The two are one and different. You can't have one <laughs> without the other. So Swayam Bhagavan, Krishna, the fountainhead of all forms of divinity, Vishnu Tattva, is the one standing next to Radha. Hmm? And she is and he is singular, and she never would ever think of consorting with any of his even avatars. Hmm? They have no Prema Madhurya. She is Prema Madhurya. She is the this is one of the qualities of Krishna that the Ryan doesn't have. Prema Madhurya. She's the full face of Prema Madhurya. No other avatar has it. That's why we know Chaitanya Mahaprabhu must be Krishna. Hmm? Because he's interested in Prema Madhurya. He's distributing Prema Madhurya. Nobody else has that. No other avatar. Hmm? And ultimately this Prema Madhurya is, is, is the, the full form of this is Shirada. So, what is the measure of her chastity then? It exceeds that of Arundhati, which is der- whose is derived, and arguably Lakshmi's chastity is also derived from Radha. You know that Krishna wanted to demonstrate this in Braj, where it's not fully apparent. It looks just the opposite, that Radha is, is suspected of being the most unchaste lady, and very embarrassing, because with the son of the king and the queen of Vrindavan, at least you could keep it on side with some other, some unknown person, but, hmm? and of course the mother-in-law and the sister-in-law of Radharani are the most concerned about this, hmm? But you can't imagine Jatila's love for Radharani. It's very, it's very, very extreme. Hmm? But she's cast in a certain role, hmm? of which amounts to objecting to her consorting with Krishna. Hmm? So we look at her as a, you know, as a as a bad guy, <laughs> but but oh, she's so glorious. Hmm? Without her opposition, then. There'll be no parakia. Parakia is the ideal, and parakia is the sadhana also. Mm-hmm. That you should understand. How does it play out that parakia is the sadhana? Mahaprabhu wrote to Rupa, Sanatan Goswami, before he met them. After they had written to him and said, We want to join you, and they were working as government officials, Mahaprabhu wrote them and said, Stay where you are. Hmm? There's political implications and spiritual implications. Stay where you are. Don't move. This guy's this guy'll cut off your head. Hmm? The Nawab was it Nawab Hussein Saw, the ruler of Bengal. Stay where you are. And do your government services. Just like a paramour lover. Hmm? 
who's in the who's who's does her duties at home so well, so perfectly, so that she'll never be suspected. And it's not a burden for her to do those responsibilities because all the time the fuel behind her doing them and doing them perfectly is the love that rages within her heart that continues to rage because of the impediments to its pursuit. Hmm? Married life, you know, turns into sakya or dasya. Hmm? It becomes, a, you know, let's work it out, you know, kind of a thing. You know. it, it, but the par- parakya, paramore love, means uh, it's very racy and it's always exciting and there's a there's opposition you may not be able to meet and and you're only there for a short period of time and you don't get to know them well enough to... <laughs> but it would be a problem. <laughs> of course, in material life, it's beautiful when, 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 when love between husband and wife becomes more than a fatuation. It becomes beautiful and meaningful and rich and, and, uh, and find firm, good ground to, to partner together for spiritual pursuit and so forth. But I'm just giving it a... Uh, trying to explain the parakeha of Brudge. <laughs> so, hmm. so he wrote to them and he said, be like a parakeha lover in this world. It means most people are in the world. Hmm? And even the sannyasis of Gaudiya Vaishnavism in the Paribhara Bhakti Vinoda, they're in the world. They're riding as Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur did, the limousines, and he was wearing the patent leather shoes and and printing presses and all these things. He wasn't living in the Dham, doing Nirjan Bhajan, um, and so forth. Opening temples, he was very much in the world. Hmm? The sannyas was kind of a guise, as it was for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It's an anga sannyas of the Gyanmarg, not of the Bhakti Marg. Hmm? Mahaprabhu employed it as a device to bring attention to that which he was teaching about. Hmm? So our sannyasis... They're very busy, concerned about accounting, raising the funds, paying to support the family of Rod and Madhava here. Mm. We've got to pay their bills. We've got to feed them nicely. We've got to get them new clothes. Just like <laughs> ordinary life, so to speak. Mm-hmm. They're preoccupied like this. Mm-hmm. So bhakti is about being in, very much stepping back from the world just enough to see it for what it is, that it belongs to someone else, not to myself, and then enter into it and employ everything in his and her Radha and Krishna service. Hmm? That requires a parakya mentality, if you will, to be in the world, be the best doctor that you can be, be the best uh, gymnast that you can be, the best um, juggler that you can be, the best um, hairdresser sure that, yeah, that, you, that you can be, and so forth. Um, and, 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 and be somewhere else at the same time. Hmm? Um, he set an example for others such that people think, man, you are really a good editor or you're, what is it that makes you tick? And then you, well, it's like this. Yeah. And then you have to talk about what you're about and so forth. And so, so it's a, it's a way in which the parakia idea is played out in the sadhana, how to be in the world. And Prabhupada wanted the disciples to be best at everything they did. How can you be the how can I be the best at everything and be detached from the results and, and so forth? This is how. Hmm? 
be the best in everything and be a, an example then the people will, brought, will draw attention to you and when that, that teachable moment is created by your material attention you want to create a teachable moment so you go people go to people and say chant Hare Krishna and they go what? <laughs> or, or, or nowadays they go down the street and one guy's wearing a sombrero another guy's wearing shorts and somebody else got a backpack on a lady in a sari and a, they look like, you know, I don't know how to wear. I saw a beautiful picture the other day on the Internet of devotees, about ten devotees, in, in young. they were young, in saffron, all in unison. This was taken like in the 70s, uh, doing kirtan. And they looked very beautiful and very attractive. And it was like otherworldly. And that you could feel from the picture that they were absorbed in the kirtan itself and that there was an an overflow that by that by its own nature it was bringing about bringing attention to itself instead of like um, I saw some other videos of kirtan like I'm describing hmm? and they break into the bar and they're <laughs> chanting and getting trying to get people to dance and so forth it was very different. Uh, <laughs> Things at times have changed, um, and uh, so uh, what is the point? <laughs> okay, I'm lost in that one. Sadhya, sadhya, sadhya. That was how we began. Yeah. So yeah. So so here, you know, we we try to the people want you want to preach, you want to get people's attention, you want to you want to regurgitate some dogma. And think that this is how to spread Krishna consciousness. The way to spread Krishna consciousness, you have to go deeper inside. You have to get sadhu sangha. You have to understand that you don't understand the Srimad Bhagavatam, and therefore you, there's a lot to read there. Not that I already read that. I already got. You know, look deeper. If if a new commentary on the Bhagavatam comes out from a translation of a previous acharyas or a present acharya, I mean. I gotta get a copy of that. My nature is, if I find out somebody wrote something about Krishna, wherever they're from, whatever they're about, I want to read it. I may only read a couple pages and go, he didn't get it, but I want to find out. He's written about Krishna. Let's see what he says. Hmm? His attention is on Krishna. He must have got something from there that I can learn from. Hmm? That's actually how I how I conduct myself. It's what to speak of. Somebody's published a book that was a devotee with a commentary. Uh, that's that's very exciting. Hmm. It's ongoing. Hmm. Hmm. No. We we don't understand Srimad Bhagavatam. It's not understandable. It's lovable. Hmm. It's relishable. Hmm. That means you know it. You relish it. Then you know it. Hmm. So we want to bring people's attention to the, the gift that we have, but do we understand the gift? Or are we just mentally devotees? And then in some mental way, and we, we want to like regurgitate some dogma that we've learned and expect it to have an effect. It's no wonder people think they're a little crazy, you know, or some, sometimes, you know. They're saying the world's flat, you know, or something like that. <laughs> they were nice enough, but... So, you know, what is it? What is the fifth candle of the Bhagavatam? What is the sixth candle? What can't be four? What can't be? 
all these things, to go with deeply in that and be an experiential devotee. And there, here's the example. This is what Prabhupada taught. Be a perfect lawyer, if that's your thing, materially. A perfect father, a perfect mother. And that will create a teachable moment in others' lives. Well, there I'll ask, which is what you want. You want a teachable moment. Otherwise, how can you teach? Hmm? I mean, um, unsolicited advice is not real popular all the time. Hmm? Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> if you, by your behavior, even with the way you conduct yourself in the world, you, you bring attention to yourself that people ask, what are you about? Hmm? You're such a good student. We want to give you a scholarship. What are you about? I say, hmm? well, this is what I'm about. I'm a Vaishnava. What's that? Hmm? Then you have a teachable moment. You share a little something with them. Hmm? So, he said, I'm taking this parakya idea to the to the realm of sadhana, even to, even to preaching. This is the this is the the central theme of the Brajlila. Hmm? Um, the parakya, the chastity of Krishna, of Radha, in question, right? Hmm? And the biggest questioners, Jatila, Kutila, the mother-in-law, so-called mother-in-law, daughter-in-law of, sister-in-law? Sister-in-law of, of Radha. And they, of course, they have the reputation of being very, very chaste. Who's ever very concerned about everybody being chaste must be chaste. It would be the idea. Hmm? So, of course, in the Goswami's Gruntas, we have a nice story in that regard, where one day Krishna became sick with a fever, hmm? and Mother Soda couldn't find a cure, hmm? and so she was frantic. And then Krishna, who had arranged his own fever, appeared outside the house, just happened to be walking by in the guise of an Ayurvedic physician. And he, 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 people would dress in such a way, their dress would indicate something about who they were, of course, and so forth. Um, just like in days of yore, and even in this country, the physicians used to have carry a bag and come to your house. So things have changed. Um, so Mother uh, Nand stepped out, there was the the do- a doctor, wow, what good! The grace of God, we must be worshiping Narayan nicely. Krishna, our son is sick, and here's a doctor right, right on the scene. Please come in, hmm? help us. And Yashoda's is frantic, and then the doctor examines him very closely. It's very serious. It's a very serious. What to do? Uh, he said, "Well, uh, let me meditate." So he meditates, he comes out with the answer, he says, there's a cure. But the cure is, is that she has to drink, he has to drink water from the Jamuna. And Nandamarach just sigh of relief, huh, well, that's just the Jamuna's right there. <laughs> okay, that's sensible. But hold on, no. But it has to be brought in a porous pot. In a pot, a clay pot with holes in it. So if you can bring water from the Jamuna, in a porous pot, that water, if he drinks it, he'll be cured. And Nanaraj is now plunged into the depths of despair. How the heck can you bring water in a, in a porous pot? That's not going to happen. Hmm? And of course, Krishna can 
read it on his eyes. And Mother Yasoda, she's not thinking like that. She starts racing towards the Jamuna. But Krishna has something else in mind. He says, this is a problem. Certainly Mother Yasoda is, cho- is chased. There's no doubt about that. But I've got to stop her because I have something else that I, that, in mind here. So he says, hold it. That won't work. Hmm? You're the mother of the son. And if the mother administers the medicine, it won't work. <laughs> That's not happening. So then Mother Yasoda is in despair and says, where can we find a chaste lady? And so Krishna says, well, let me meditate. But it's apparent that, well, he doesn't meditate. He say, she, she says, well, the Nanda says, the chaste ladies are obviously Jatila and Kutila, two generations of chaste ladies. They're, they're, they're you know, the most concerned about this. Let's get uh, you know, Kutila here. You know, so they go and, and, and bring her there. Krishna's sick. Oh, come right away. Okay. And so, then, but then the order is given. Now, please, meanwhile, it's quite a gathering at, at this point. And, uh, and, and, and Kutila is still, you are a chaste lady. Yes, of course. Of course. Perfect. All right. Where the solution is at hand. Take this porous pot here that I've arranged, Duxus, and go bring some water from the Jamuna. And she said, what? Hmm. He said two things. You have to bring water from a porous pot after walking across the Jamuna on a bridge made of hair. <laughs> like a tightrope. Hmm. You have to walk across, and then you bring water and come back across the other way. And a chaste lady could do this. Hmm. So Kutila says, uh, I, th- I think I better pass. Uh, very embarrassing. The whole breath, whoa, and all the suspicion goes on her. She, well, let's take it to the you know the previous generation, to Jatila, her mother. Bring her there, and of course she has the same reaction. Uh, I don't think uh, so. Their suspicion and so forth. It, it, it said, "Atma God." One thinks others, the Bhagavatam says, to be like oneself. Not that they were they were unchaste necessarily, but anyway, it's a lesson for all of us. So then, it seems there's no solution to Santa, of course, and Krishna says, wait a minute, I think there is that one, she, that girl. She can do it, I think. And all the attention goes on Radha, and Kutil and Jatil go, oh, you got to be kidding me. That's a joke. And of course, uh, the, the Mother Yasoda presses the issue. Arata cannot possibly um, refuse, but she knows that she is illicitly eloping with Krishna on a regular basis. Although she can never be caught, never be caught. The Leela, she's never ever caught. Just when you think she's caught, Krishna is very expert to get out of it, and and Radha is very expert. Beautiful, so many beautiful leelas like this. So she goes, somehow she 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 goes to walk on the hair, and Krishna appears invisibly to everybody else underneath and carries her on his back. And she dips the pot in, and he holds, puts his fingers in the holes, <laughs> and brings back the water in a porous pot, and her chastity is then celebrated throughout her So again. All of the rumors are dis- dis- dispersed, done away with. Only they could come again. Hmm? <laughs> and so the Leela moves. Hmm? 
around the chastity of Radha. Hmm? This is the, the chastity to Krishna and how it may play out other, otherwise and so forth. Hmm? And so, this, uh, he says, Rupa Goswami, this Urjavrata should be celebrated. Urja means power, it means Shakti. It's, it, uh, it, Vishwanath Chakrutsakra says, in Bhagavatam, where the term comes, the word comes, he says, this Urja means this, the internal Shakti, the Sarup Shakti of Krishna, that Radharani, of course, personifies. Hmm? So it's a vow, the Urjabrata, to get the power hmm, of of Radha to be beyond suspicion, <laughs> something like that. Huh? And he also says, Vishnu Chakritakur, that this power, Urja, that is the Shakti that refers to the internal energy, is also manifest as Brindadevi and, and Tulsi. That's why we do the Radha. Mahima of Rupa Goswami mornings when we do the circumambulation of 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 Tulsi Devi, the Purikram for Tulsi Devi. Hmm. Who, Brinda Devi, that's a whole other story, of course. Um, and we're reading about that in Madhav Mahotsava. She's involved in bequeathing. She's the, the queen of Vrindavan. Vrindavan is named after her, but she passes it over to Radharani, who becomes... Vrindabhaneshwari Radhe Ki Jai. This is her month, Kartik. Hmm. Try to do some small service for her and make our lives auspicious. She said, Radha Madhava Ki Jai. Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai. Gaur Premanandi. What's the time? Okay, it was a long discussion. So, we hold your questions if you have any. We'll be gathered a few more times here over the weekend. You can ask questions. And what's next? Prashadam. Okay. Sorry to keep you waiting. Shri Kartik Vrata Ki Jai. Shri Radha Seva Ki Jai. Maha Prashad Ki Jai. Gaur Premanandi.